0: Broadcasting from Littlehampton, UK, this is the Man Up Podcast from Sorted Magazine. Official sponsor, Uk. Loading in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1.
1: This is Steve Legg on the Sorted Magazine Man Up Podcast. It's fabulous to have you with us. On today's show, we're here from funny guy Paul Carenza, plus author and speaker Dr. Krish Kandaya. It's an absolute belter, so sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Oh, and tell your friends. Hi, this is Lieutenant Colombo, and you are listening to the Man Up Podcast, the most fun you can have without a cigar and a trench coat. All right, I think I've bothered you enough for today. I'll let you go on and listen. Oh, oh, and just one more thing. Enjoy the show. First up, it's the brilliant comedy writer and stand up comedian Paul Carenza talking booblay, bad gigs, and belly buttons. Sorted Man Podcast These guys are great Fantastic Absolutely fantastic However Not as good As America will be When I Am done with it Well this is exciting Here with one of my Favourite funny men The one and only Mr Paul Carenza Comedian Raconteur.
0: I'll go with raconteur. Oh, that, I like that is a great term, isn't it? I like that. I
1: might not heard raconteur for years. You don't hear that
0: often. No. I don't, so a female raconteur should be a raconteur's, shouldn't it? Which is rare, but I like the idea what of it. What is a
1: raconteur? A storyteller?
0: Someone who recounts, I suppose. Oh, of course. But a public open. recounter. So yes. Someone who says, here's a thing that happened. There you go. It could be so, just anything quite boring, you know.
1: How would you describe yourself?
0: How would I describe myself? Um, I suppose, really, it boils down to stand-up comedian and writer. And so I'm full-time comedy, and half of that is me... Standing up and telling people And half of it is me sitting down and writing about it Which do you prefer? You know what, I like exactly 50-50 And that is because I, um, I like to do different things Variety is the spice of life, isn't it? So and, uh, and I find if it's a week of, of just writing Then I crave a gig You want real yeah. you know, flesh the and blood to talk about Totally. from
1: people and heckling.
0: Totally. Equally, if you have a week of gigs, you just want to sit down somewhere little coffee shop and tippy-tap away some ideas. So, you know, I like three days a week writing, three nights a week gigging. That is perfect.
1: And you've been very modest. You've been writing for some very well-known people,
0: big shows. Uh, I've, I've done a few. I've done a few. Um, on, spill the beans. Spill the beans. What have I done? I did, uh, well, the big... So I did a lot of radio stuff to start with, and that led to doing Not Going Out with Lee Mack, which then led to doing Miranda with Miranda Hart which then led to script editing some other sort of sitcoms and things, um, and then also TFI Friday and Top Gear, uh, which both have a common factor, of course, in Mr. Chris Evans. I've got to do that thanks to doing the Radio 2 breakfast show, Calls for Thought. So it's all been about knowing the right, bumping into the right people, being nice to them, and, uh, you know, continuing being nice to them and maybe get some dirt on them so they have to keep employing you. That's the plan. <laughs>
1: Fabulous tips, and I saw your name come up, Michael Bublé, at Christmas. Oh, that's right.
0: Yeah, so that was again. That was from the Top Gear thing. Uh, so the production. He was on Top Gear. No, was no, it? the production coordinator of Top Gear moved to BBC Music Awards and, and BBC Music and Bublé, the Bublé Show. Said, "Come on in." So all of that, really, you know, people talk about getting agents and stuff. They'll just sign your contract for yeah. you. It's, it's just you know, been. It? It's totally bumping into the right people, getting to know them, Shh. being available, being nice, and that led to the Bublé thing, which was great fun. And that, I mean, that was just. I've always loved Buble anyway and loved that stuff. And just to, for me, the highlight was the tech rehearsal in the studio. No audience, but the big band were there, the, the BBC Concert Orchestra. Michael there belting out his hits. Michael, And, uh, and what was great is he sort of, he's, you know, he could can, he can just switch it on. But then he's like, you know, kind of restraining it to save it for the big performance. And so he's just mucking around with it. He's doing it in falsetto. He's doing a rap versions of his own songs. And then he rests his voice and says, "I'm just going to go backstage. Someone else can stand in for me now." The floor manager stands in and just, you know, stands there and pretends to sing. I'm there thinking, "This was my chance. I should have been. That should be me." I said, "Yeah, I'll do it, Michael. I'll stand there and sing with your band for you." So, missed opportunity. But That's good, impressive, good mate. fun though. Yeah. So,
1: Paul, how did it all start? Uh,
0: uh, what life, um, life, well, the universe, comedy, uh, comedy when everything. You,
1: when you were at school, was that something you wanted to do? Well, actually, a comedian, a you know what? You?
0: It does actually date back to the very start in a way because I, um, I would go to the, the full details partly because I'm touring and listening to a show which people can therefore see but also it takes far too long to explain but I was born uh, a bit funny so I had some organs on the outside things like that which wasn't ideal so I spent five years on and off mostly at home but in hospital Great Ormond Street all that sort of stuff Lots of, I had like 90 surgeries before I was five fixed all that stuff but I missed the first term of my first school so I am always playing catch up And couldn't do the sports often, often in hospital for that sort of thing. And um, to be honest, I wasn't always in hospital, but I knew it was a good enough trick that I could get off sports by saying, oh, it's the war wound again, I can't (laughs) do it this week. So I did pull that one a few times. But as a result, then I got to, uh, firstly, I got to enjoy drama and stuff because I wasn't doing the sports. So while they're doing sports, I'm writing little scripts and stories and things. But also, just being in hospital a lot and having that slight sense of my own mortality very early Mm -hmm. on. And I've had about three or four occasions. Where the doctor said it's been 50 50 on the operating table. Yes, so I'm, right. I'm playing the odds yes. um, and I'm still here. So that for me says, you know, I don't want to be sort of spending my life doing things that I don't really want to be doing. And for me, what do I want to be doing is, yeah, making people laugh. So why not?
1: And you are living the
0: dream. Living the dream. This is it. It's the plan. And you're in Bogner tonight. I'm in Bognor Regis <laughs> tonight. This is it. It's, it's, I say it's the dream. The dream is to do it. And of course, then suddenly you've got real world things like pensions and yeah. bills to pay and stuff like that. So sometimes the real world does knock on that door and says, actually, come on, you know, you've got to make this work now. You know, good fun, though. Tell
1: us about your worst and best gig. Have you got a uh, horror story, something that you will never forget? Yes. Go on.
0: Oh, man. you actually, not that bad? <laughs> Yes, it is. I still have nightmares. <laughs> it was quite early on, right? It's the Banana Cabaret uh, Comedy Club in Ballum. Uh And it, it can be a lovely venue, but it can be a real stinker of a venue as well. And you do your five-minute open spot, your ten minutes, and then they booked me to do my first 20, my first full 20-minute set there. Did it, and it went nicely. And normally they'd say come back in six months, but they had a cancellation. So they said, right, well, you know, come back. It's a couple of weeks' time. So I came out like two weeks later. But of course in that time, in that time I only have my same 20 minute set. And I didn't have any new jokes. It was only two weeks later. And you get regulars. Yeah. So they're guys in the front row who have only heard me a fortnight earlier and they're yelling out my punchlines before I've got oh, to them. No. And they think they're sort of helping out and stuff. Like, oh he's a good one, this is what he says, this bit. And it meant in the first three, and I could take it to start with, but I'm quite early on, I'm quite fresh at this, so I didn't really have the heckle put-downs um, up my sleeve, so two or three minutes in, I thought, I've not got the audience on side, because I've not said anything funny yet, the front row, they're yelling the punchlines, I'm just doing the setups. it's like a weird double act, and slowly, and I can deal with heckles, but what you can't deal with is chatter and it's yeah. that slow wave of chat that came from the back when they just slowly started to ignore me and that is the worst thing I mean, the, you know even outside a comedy club the worst thing surely is to be ignored yes. and you know in a comedy club you're there hello hello <laughs> I'm over here and it was all for 20 minutes I stayed there to do my time to get paid and that was about 15 years ago and then about 5 years ago Gatwick Airport a guy came up to me and said you're a comedian I said, yeah I'm famous i I've just been <laughs> spotted he said, you won't remember me but I was in the front row of the Ballum Comedy Club 10 years ago and yeah, I do remember you, mate. Yeah, yeah, you've haunted my dreams ever since.
1: He didn't say that.
0: Uh, he did. He came up to me and said that. Really? But, um, but yeah, I, and I, I did sort of think, I, yeah, I do. I, I know you well, mate. I see you nightly in my okay. <laughs> as I close my eyes. What about your best then? My best? Um, I don't know about my best, really. You know, I, I think probably one of the most memorable was I did the um, the comedy store used to have this what they call the King Gong. Uh, show or the gong show, where you have to do uh, up to five minutes of jokes, but three random members of the audience have got these red cards, and if they, of all three red cards, go up, the gong goes by the compare. If the compare doesn't like you, he can bang the gong as yeah. well, and you're off. Some people make five seconds. You know, a guy walked on when I was doing it. He said, "I'm from Liverpool." Gong. That was it. You're off. You <laughs> know. And they stopped it uh, for about twenty years, and the first night they brought it back. I was I signed up for it and i yeah I'll give this a go and there's 30 comedians that signed up to it and I was about halfway down the list uh, so 14 acts before me had been gonged off and I went on and I was and I made the full five minutes just by the skin of my teeth just little quick jokes punchline, punchline, punchline I was the first uh, comedian in 20 years To actually survive the gong Because I'd not done it for 20 years Which is quite handy But the first one to come back And just that moment of hearing the hallelujah chorus At the end of it And the, uh, you know, you made your full five minutes And that was, that was suddenly That was my hundredth gig as well And that was like a magical moment A big round number You know, survived the gong And had a couple of mates in And uh, that was nice I think I treated myself to a bab on the way home On that one It was uh, memorable Certainly nice
2: healthy friendships are important friends who listen laugh challenge and offer sound counsel
0: who has time for that we do why not have a stagversary unite both old and new friends over a day weekend or even longer but this time round you set the agenda at stagversary we believe in fun and adventure but most of all helping you to create space to rest Refuel and reconnect with the important people in your life what are you waiting for
2: visit stagiversary.co.uk. inquire within and let us do the rest
0: in the latest bumper edition of Sorted Magazine. Big name exclusive interviews, Hollywood A-listers, TV adventurer Bear Grylls, inspirational true life stories, adrenaline-fueled sports features, all this plus gadgets, entertainment, motoring, movies and technology, plus probably the greatest team of Christian writers ever assembled. Available now from high street retailers nationwide or visit sortedmag.com. Sorted. For men. For life.
1: So last month we were invited to the House of Lords for the launch of Dr. Krish Kandaya's new book. He's a smart cookie and no mistake, and here he is telling us about adoption and fostering. Plus his new book with a strange title, God is Stranger. He'll explain what that's all about. Over to you, Doc.
2: Hi, my name's Krish Kandaya and I'm the founding director of Home for Good, which is a charity trying to find more adoptive homes for children waiting in foster care and also longer term foster families uh, for children that are being moved around a lot. Charity started in 2011 um, and it was really uh, because a few friends of ours got together and thought, you know, that there's something the church needs to do uh, when it comes to vulnerable children. The Bible's really clear uh, that caring for widows and orphans is the kind of true religion that God actually asks of his church, uh, even more so than singing songs and listening to the Bible. God wants to translate our love for him into love for others. Uh, and so this became a really important thing for us. Uh, we did some research and found out there's around 5,000 kids that were waiting for adoption and another 9,000 families needed uh, to foster children. And when we did the maths we worked out there's around Um, 15,000 churches that uh, we can easily be in touch with. Churches that love Jesus, are passionate about the gospel. uh, And so the maths work out. It means we just need one new family per church uh, to start to foster or to adopt and for the rest of the church to wrap around them. And the UK church can meet the entire need. Not by everyone adopting 10 children, uh, but simply one new family fostering uh, or adopting. And so, yeah, our own family are a fostering and adopting family. We have three birth kids and four looked after children, and we love them all uh, as if they were our own flesh and blood. And it's uh, just an incredible privilege to care for them. It is probably the most challenging thing that our family does. It can be heartbreaking to hear the stories uh, of what's happened to kids that bring them into care. but also sometimes kids come and they have all sorts of behavioural challenges sometimes they've been treated and neglected um, or they've been sexually abused or physically abused Um, and so sometimes they come uh, with quite a lot of challenges in their lives but again it's such a privilege to be able to offer God's love and mercy to them I've written this book God is stranger and someone asked me you know can we even say that can we say God is a stranger well actually there's a number of occurrences in the Bible where God deliberately hides his identity he turns up unannounced uh, uninvited think about uh, the three strangers that turn up in Abraham's life Uh, think about the um, stranger that wrestles with Jacob in the middle of the night uh, and actually leaves him permanently wounded and so there are these occasions where God turns up in a strange way and actually, for many of us, reading the Old Testament is quite a strange book. When we read it, it doesn't seem to reflect the God that we know and love. Uh, in the New Testament, what's God doing wiping out the city of Sodom? What's God doing uh, allowing David to curse his enemies and wish that they had been dashed to pieces? What God, what's God doing um, asking Ezekiel to give the most bizarrest parable uh, about a man that adopts a baby, ends up marrying her, um, and then... Um, Calls down all sorts of terrible curses on us. There's some really strange bits of the Old Testament that don't seem to make sense. And so this book is trying to do a couple of things. It's trying to help people that might feel distant from God or might feel that they've plateaued in their relationship with God um, trying to help them encounter God through some of these strange stories that are often neglected in the Bible but it's also trying to help us understand what's our responsibility towards the stranger and the outcast and the marginalised so we've been seeing some tremendous response to the book already people telling me it's changed the way that they understand God people telling me that actually it's changed the way that they're living their lives even doing their families so it's um, been really encouraging to see that how that happens and I uh, would love for your readers and listeners uh, to engage with the book love to hear what they make of it thanks so much for listening thanks bye
1: Donald Trump here leader of the free world speaking of
2: free you're listening to the man up podcast
1: let's get back to comedian Paul Carenza and chat more about what makes him laugh how to tell a good joke and his favorite service station snack
0: hey this is Sylvester Stallone and I play it tough you're listening to the Sorted Man Up podcast. This is what we do.
1: So I'm still here with uh, Mr. Paul Carenza. Paul, what makes you laugh?
0: You, you, Steve Leg. I learn it all from the master. This is it, <laughs> the, the Jedi master, the the master. Um, what it makes me laugh? You know what I like. I mean, it's a it's a cliche, but I, cause I like a joke, just a joke, a joke. You know, yeah. your, you know, your, your Tommy Coopers, your two Ronnies, whatever it is. Um, so you know. Good good Christian brothers of mine, but Milton Jones and Tim Vine are two uh, of the finest jokesmiths on the planet, as far as I'm concerned. If you go to America, you've got people like Mitch Hedberg, who's sadly no longer with us, but his his uh, canon of, of jokes is amazing. Um, Emo Phillips, that sort of stuff. But give me a good, quick joke any day of the week. Absolutely. Do you
1: much prefer that to a Peter Kay, Michael McIntyre?
0: Yeah, I like, you know, observational stuff has its place, certainly, and people do like that. They like to be sort of uh, shown a mirror up to their own lives. Uh, but For my own personal taste in humour, and, and to be honest, I like absorbing, I like consuming that. Mm. I can't sell jokes like one-liners in the same way that I appreciate them. So I've tried, I've got a big list of one-liners in my in my jacket pocket for any time I need it at a gig. But I try it and I just get groans, and I can't deliver those in the way that I, you I see, love I'm to I'm so surprised
1: them. you would say that. Because your style isn't that at all. How would you describe your style to someone who's not seen you?
0: I'm still learning. You know, I'm 15 years in. And this is the problem. I like a joke. I like a story. I like telling, um, you know, some observational stuff. I like my PowerPoint things, a little visual stuff, some music. I like a song. I like to sing, you know. Um, Any of those things. But as a result, I suppose, in a way, I like all of that stuff. But with with a, a warm smile and hopefully also trying to get everyone in the room enjoying it. You know, I'm not one of those comedians you do see out there who who sort of ailing out half the audience going I'm just going to go for this yeah. solid batch of people my people whereas I think no they, everyone's paid to be here let's get them all involved let's get them all enjoying it so for me I suppose it's more about that it's more about that general attitude of let's all get along you know so are you a Christian comedian are you a comedian who's a Christian oh I'm a, I'm a Christian comedian who's a Christian and is a comedian <laughs> and is a I'm all of it um, and, um, but yeah I'm a comedian who is a Christian I suppose as opposed
1: to telling Christian jokes yeah, but
0: about. I, Exactly. But then I've, at the same time, having always said that, I am doing more and more shows for churches. And uh, and, and also in those events, enjoying the fact that then you can talk about um, some of the things uh, that, you know, as a church or something, some Bible, some Bible stuff. I studied theology, so um, I sort of like referring back to that a bit sometimes. And often just, you know, retelling a little, you know, the Adam and Eve story in a humorous way but not what I try and avoid doing is doing it in like an in-house kind of way what I want to do it alienates
1: people outside doesn't it
0: totally and what I've enjoyed I did a show at Edinburgh Festival just doing the book of Genesis as a stand-up show for a secular audience and really it was aimed at an atheist secular agnostic whatever audience to say look we don't open this book in the way that we're used to 30, 40 years ago Life of Brian wouldn't work today because we don't get the jokes anymore sure. so let's talk about it even if you don't believe in it have a, it's worth knowing what's in this You know what the big stories are so just getting it across in that sort of way I think is helpful you know?
1: Do you remember your most interesting heckle?
0: Do you get heckled a lot? Uh, I don't get many. I don't leave gaps enough for the heckles, really. Um, so I try not to. Um, so that's always weird. Um, I do a bit where um, I haven't got a belly button, so I do, I do reveal that on stage quite a lot. I think I'm quite known for revealing my lack of belly button. And I did have, I've did had one gig where a guy stood up and went, that's me as well! And that was lovely. That We got up on stage and we both compared lack of belly buttons. And then I had another gig where a guy said, I've got two, and... Um, and he came up on stage and he's got two belly buttons so um, I think he must have had some, I mean a, a belly button is of course ultimately a scar isn't it from a bit of technically surgery It's when they cut your umbilical cord so I think he had, um, I don't know if he had two umbilical cords or maybe he had that and someone else maybe a little, I don't know, he had something anyway but either way he's got my belly button so that was, um, that's one of those heckles that it changes the gig, you know what I mean after that jokes don't work anymore you know? we all just want to talk belly buttons after that you know?
1: Um, what tips would you give for aspiring comedians because comedy is still very much the new rock and roll isn't it
0: um, yeah I think well, the thing is just gig 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 and particularly because when I started out it, what, there was no career plan with stand up and then nowadays you've got your shiny floor shows your line with yeah. uh, it looks more attainable mm-hmm. and so you hear of these new comedians who haven't even done a gig yet and they've got a five year plan <laughs> uh, they're doing Edinburgh Festival yeah. year one they're doing management oh. year two uh, Mot the Wig year three all that sort of stuff. BBC Three, their own sketch on BBC Three a year full. Great, brilliant, do all that stuff. But in the meantime, gig, 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 gig. Because the more you gig, the better you'll get. Even the bad gigs will teach you something about it. And it does mean you do get this point now where there are comedians who have their own shows on BBC Three, and I'm not jealous, but, <laughs> but the thing is they've not ever done a full hour show before. They are They've got ten minutes of stand-up they've been doing on the circuit, They've got big very quickly, but then they haven't got a lot of material to draw back to fall back on. So, you know, it's fine if you have a really accelerated, uh, you know, career in a few years, all power to you. But in that time, cram in as many gigs as possible because you're going to need all that backup when, you know, year three, year four, you're trying to get people to come and see your new shows. You need that material,
1: Paul's brilliant advice. We're going to finish with a little quiz. Yeah, I love a quiz. Three questions for you. Right. What is your favourite quiz, by the way? Which isn't one of the quiz questions. <laughs> I'm a big quizzer,
0: as you would know. Yes, I know you're an Eggheads fan, aren't you?
1: Eggheads, love Eggheads, love the chase. Oh, yeah. Tipping point drives me mad. Right, so. Okay. stupid
0: people on yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm an Only Connector. Oh, really? Big fan of Only Connect. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah,
1: yeah. Okay, here we go. Um, as a travelling comedian, these are all travelling relatives. I okay. know you travel a lot. I do. Any tips for our listeners on avoiding traffic on the M25?
0: <laughs> depends where you're going, of course. Um, because if you, it depends, if you're going like you know uh, west to east, for example, you've got the dilemma: do I go around the top, down yes. the bottom, oh, through okay. the middle? You know, so it does depend on which on your routes, of course. Uh, generally, if you're on the west side, there are a couple of good little cut-throughs. Either if you're going around it past Slough, or you can go inside passing through airport. There's a few little good nifty cut-throughs there. Um, but generally, I would say, you know, don't use your mobile while driving. Pull over if you're going to check your Google Maps, and, uh, and good luck to you.
1: And I've learned, try to get off the M25 on a Friday by 1pm.
0: Oh, that's a good tip. Which is yes. a really good tip, yes. because it gets so, so busy. Yeah.
1: Do you happen to know the average um, speed of a car on the M25?
0: Oh, uh, I don't, but I'm going to hazard a guess. If you're including your Fridays, that's going to bring yeah. it well down. Let's go for uh, 42 miles an hour. It's 25. Is it 25? 25. Is Isn't that why they call it M25? Is that obviously Hence the name.
1: Um, Favourite pasty or savoury snack while you're travelling?
0: Well, it's, this is tough, <laughs> because I'm a Cornishman. And so, the, so therefore, the proper Cornish pasty is only available in Cornwall.
1: Well, exactly.
0: But um, they've got a lot better. So you, your West Cornwall Pasty Company does do, or, you know do a pretty authentic Cornish pasty. They're not not half bad. Yeah. The pasty shop less is less Cornish, so they're, they're not quite as good. Uh, proper Cornish pasty, of course, you've got to have jam and cream on top as well. That would make it a proper Cornish <laughs> Devon cream, their jam. Well, but, I was going to say, weird, isn't it?
1: What about Scotch egg?
0: no not just now thank you I've had my past
1: <laughs> and final yes. question in our little comedians travelling comedians yes. quiz best service station best
0: they service. have got better they have got better haven't they they have got better um, the best one I always forget which one it is because I ever do on the way to Edinburgh and I've not been up for a few years but there's that one right up in the northwest on the top of the M6 near Kendall
1: Oh, T Bay, I believe. T Bay, is it? Yes. Farm shop, lovely little yes, lake. Very, very Beautiful, nice.
0: beautiful. What Can't about Gloucester Services, which is sensational? That's pretty, That's pretty good. a proper actually, farm isn't it? shop. That's pretty good as well, isn't it? I don't mind a bit of that one. Yeah, I end up mostly at Toddington. That is probably my. Uh, but it's just more yep. geographically convenient than anything. Well, it is
1: for me. Toddington's 100 miles right. from home.
0: Yes, yes. So, uh, what we'll I would say, if I'm, on, if I'm on the M1, I'm getting really geeky now, but yes. you, it's what you've asked okay. for, right? <laughs> <laughs> if you're on the M1 near Leicester, you pull off and use Foss Park. You know, rather than pay it for the services, the service station petrol prices, you pull off, within two minutes you're at Foss Park, you've got Asda petrol, you've got all the, you've got your Costa coffee, all the different places, you know, you've got a harvester, you get your free salad cart, you know, come on, that's what you need, isn't it? This is certainly
1: educational. Well, isn't there you it? go. I
0: like to think we're so. going to keep this quiz in. This is road educational.
1: Man, yeah,
0: yeah. have it. Finally, Paul, yes. tell us
1: about your tour because I know you're touring for the rest of the year.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm touring uh, bits and pla- bits and pieces, bits and places. Is that a phrase? <laughs> I'll take it. Bits and places. Uh, yeah, I'm doing a little mini tour um, called Navelless gazing, uh, which is related to the fact that I am naveless myself and have no belly button. So I thought let's you know really get into that. And um, and particularly look at uh, sort of uh, partly my backstory, but also I suppose yeah, a bit of naval gazing as well. And um, you know, I've got a couple of kids, and which is nice because they've got belly buttons, so I have their belly buttons. They're mine. They're mine now. You know. So I bred them. It's like a belly button farm in our house. Yeah. Um, so I'm doing a tour. Uh, mostly, actually, at the minute, it's mostly London. Um, also, Guildford Fringe, Camden Fringe. Looking at Liverpool uh, Festival in September. Nottingham Festival, May October. And of course, so... County Worthing And Worthing as well. You know, we're going all over. You know. So uh, yeah, That's too right. Fabulous. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Steve. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, you'll love
1: Steve Legg's new book, Paper Thongs and Further Misadventures. Fresh, funny, and at times deeply moving and always startlingly honest. This quirky collection of hilarious true-life mishaps brings one man face-to-face with his foibles, his failures, and a world in need, as well as the God who invariably has the last word. Get your copy today at SortedMag.com. Well, that's about it for now. I hope you've enjoyed the New Look podcast. A huge thanks to my special guests. It's always great fun to get together with my old mate, Paul Carenza. He really is one of my favourite comedians, and we've worked together many times over the years. And how fascinating to hear how his comedy career was kind of kickstarted because of illness. Do you believe it? Over 90 operations and time in hospital, as he reflected on life, death and the universe, which helped him really focus, even from a very early age, on what he really wanted to do with his life and making every moment count. Good on you, mate. It was also great to hear from Krish Kandaya about Home for Good, how we can all make a difference. It really is quite staggering to think that in the UK, 5,000 children are waiting for adoption and 9,000 foster families are desperately needed. We had a young lad come and live with us for a year. It was fun and challenging, but by the end of it, and it was time for him to move on, we knew we'd given him love and security, which he'd never properly known before. Now, you might not be able to have someone physically live in your home or be in a position to adopt, but I reckon we can all support those who do. Wouldn't it be just amazing if there was a home for every child who needs one? It's food for thought, for sure. Until next time, this is Steve Legg and friends on the Sorted Man Up podcast. Do encourage your mates to subscribe and download our little podcast and share on Facebook and Twitter. Help us get the word out. See ya! That was the Man Up podcast. They'll be back.
2: You've been listening to the Mana podcast from Sword of Magazine,
0: recorded, edited, and delivered by flagshiprecording.com.